You're listening to a podcast about images and the artists who make them. Brought to you by the 2023 edition of Momenta, Biennale de l'Image, curated by Ji Yun Han. Entitled Masquerades, Drawn to Metamorphosis, the 18th edition of Momenta, Biennale de l'Image, presents 23 artists whose projects activate processes of transformation, mimicry, and mutation. Its goal is to shed light on the dynamics of visibility and invisibility, defining the relationships between self and other between humans and our environment. I'm your host, Montreal artist and filmmaker Jamie Ross, and I'm meeting up with the artists showing work at this edition of Momenta for generous moments of conversation. Je suis votre animateur, artiste et vidéaste Jamie Ross. Je rencontre des artistes faisant partie de cette édition de Momenta pour des conversations enrichissantes. Les entretiens seront en français ainsi qu'en anglais. I love artists. I love having the opportunity to sit with other artists about the work we make and to look at it with rigor, with curiosity, and with delight. I'm interested in the messiness and the irregularity of communication. And I believe in the singular energy that is engendered by the places that inspire artwork, not just our studios, galleries, or the museums where they're shown. I'm interested in the resonance of a site and the objects that accompany each artist in their practice. For this series, I join Momenta artists for an encounter at a site of their choice to hear about their process and to think about the questions their work asks. And I'm also fascinated by the paradox that is artists working with images, sharing their work in a decidedly non-visual medium, that of a conversation, a podcast. Michelle Pearson Clark invited me to the iconic 401 Richmond building to record this episode housing some of Toronto's most beloved arts organizations and artists' studios. The creaky former industrial building is where the seeds of her practice were planted, she said. The same can be said for me, actually, too. It's here where I began making video art as a teenager, and the crush of downtown noise played a city symphony outside the big windows as we spoke. Enjoy. At the sound of the bell, we begin the spell. All right, welcome to the Momento podcast, Michelle. Thank you. Michelle Pearson-Clark. So tell us, let's paint the picture for our listeners where we are today in the city of Toronto, unceded Mississauga territory. Uh, we're sitting uh, in a studio in the 401 Richmond building. Um, it's a building that has supported a lot of artists for a really long time. And it's the place where I think, for me, the seeds of my artistic, maybe not so much my artistic practice, but um, me being an artist. I started, when I first came out, I started volunteering for the Inside Out LGBT Film and Video Festival. It just seemed like a cool way to meet some new queer folks. Hell yes. And that, I think the first thing I did is like rip tickets for a party at the door. And um, that turned into almost a two-decade relationship with the festival um, in which I became, you know, not just a volunteer, but a staff member and eventually an exhibiting filmmaker. So Inside Out was my film school. Inside Out was the first place I saw a short film. Mm. It was the first place I saw an experimental film. I met 
so many queer and trans filmmakers who were just very DIY. There wasn't that gatekeeping that I think um, happens in the art world uh, when you're not an artist. Um, there was a sense of if you have something to play with, if you have a story to tell, you just grab a camera and you do it. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of uh, emotional um, and in the end technical support when I realized, oh, I've fallen in love with this medium. Mm -hmm. This medium has shown me so much about what it is to live a queer life. Um, and I was drawn to wanting to do that in return. Mm -hmm. That's also where we met first in the context of the Inside Out Queer Video Project, which also, just like the Inside Out Festival, was based here in 401. And for me, I was reflect reflecting on that this week as I was thinking about what this building means to me too. I grew up in Toronto, so um, I remember, I think, it, I think I was 17 or 18 when, it, when we would meet, and it was a full year cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and you met the project not in the capacity as an artist, in a former career, right? Yep. Um, does that former career feel like something you want to talk about in the context of the, the podcast? Does it relate to the practice that you now oh, engage yeah. in? I talk about it a lot in my artist talks, to be mm. honest, because before I was an artist, I worked, you know, I have a master's degree in social work, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, and I worked in community health services as a health educator, mm -hmm. you know, for almost a decade. Um, and so, you know, working with queer folks, working with communities of color, you know, working with underhouse people, um, and trying to, you know, hold space for difficulty, hold space for, um, you know, a, a whole amount of grief, um, and trying to figure out ways to support folks to make different choices for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that very much shapes and influences the type of work that I make now as an artist, you know? Totally. And it took me a long time to even call myself an artist. Um, and when I, you know, was deciding whether I should go back to school or not, um, it, did, it at first it seemed like quite a radical career shift. Um, but now, you know, in this first decade of my practice, it's clear that it's not as big of a shift <laughs> as I first imagined. Um, I just use different tools now to sort of try to do the same work in some ways. Yeah, social work is the place of transformation also and support through, and support of others' transformation through their own practice yeah. of life, of living. Yeah. This building also has such a, it's a former industrial building for those of, those of you who don't know, 401 Richmond, it's in downtown Toronto, it's lofts and it's lofts that have been subdivided. There are tons of artists from centers, there are tons of gallery spaces, there's a cafe and it doesn't really lock so it's people will be milling around the hallways. Teenagers will be eating pizza and running out of their seminar room to go puke on Saturday mornings if they need to. Like there's, it's a, it's a space of artistic community, truly. Yeah, and my path here, my path here started with Inside Out, um, but continued with Trinity Square Video, mm. which is where I made Black Men and Me, my first video. Um, I joined the Border Gallery 44. Mm. That was a form of, you know, photography, community building and photography education for me, as well as, I mean, countless hundreds of openings uh, of all types at all the other, you know, yeah. galleries and museums. So this is a building that you come back to again and again and again. Yeah. For this project in particular, um, you know, the seed for that was planted 
um, my friend uh, Leticia Cosbert Miller, she did a short video series for Akimbo where she wanted to talk to artists about their practice through a secondary passion of theirs. And she said she wanted to talk to me through the frame of football. And I said, you know, there's, there's no connections between football and my practice. And she's like, I think there are. And she came and she interviewed me like at the football field and like filmed me playing. I play, you know, in this recreational women's league at Lamport. Um, and because she, you know, sort of pushed me to kind of reflect and think about those connections, um, it was really interesting to think about um, repetition, to think about um, grief and loss, because mm. football is a sport where 90, for me at you least. You never lost. You never lost. The <laughs> <laughs> well, you lose the game, but even as you're playing, so many times what you want to do and what you set out to do and what you attempt to do is not actually what you do. As a team. Just as an individual. Ah, okay, okay. So you're like, oh, I'm going to pass the ball to this person. And like your pass is off. Or you're like, oh, I see that player coming. I'm a defender. I'm going to block the ball. Mm. Or oh, she just ran past me and scored a goal. So it is just loss after loss after loss in that sport. You know, um, at the end, you may have lost the game itself. Um, but there's also communication. There's relationship building. There's kinship and collectivity. All of these things are aspects of my practice. Um, and so that was something that just kind of planted a seed to think mm. about maybe at some point there'll be a way that football makes its way actually into, you know, an artwork. Ah, after the interview? Yeah, through that whole process, oh, cool. through that whole conversation with her and mm -hmm. reflecting on those connections. Um, and when I was working on Quantum Choir, I had been through several exhibitions where, you know, my work is about grief and loss and most video in the gallery is sort of projected on a wall. People come in, they sit on a bench. And there's, I don't want to say passive, but you know, there's a kind of passive consumption of what is being presented. Um, and in my work, I'm asking my communities to be vulnerable. I'm asking my communities to be difficult, to do difficult things and um, personally difficult things. And it just wasn't sitting right with me watching the relationship between the viewer mm. and what was being presented on screen. And I just started to think about how can I build an installation that asks the viewer, invites the viewer into a more active relationship with what is being presented on mm. screen. And so with Quantum Choir, I knew that I wanted to design the installation um, with a, a measure of, shall we say, refusal. Mm. So the four screens surround you. So we are all accessible to you, but you can't ever look at all four of us mm. at the same time. Mm. You have to make your choice as the viewer as to who you're looking at, who you're listening to, for how long, and when to shift your gaze. And then the soccer balls surround the four screens because I knew that I wanted to build some sort of system that would ask for a little bit of uh, a little bit of vulnerability from the viewer themselves. So it's not a complicated grid, it's not a maze, um, but there's rules in the contemporary art gallery, you know, and viewers come in and they see the balls. Some people walk right through, some people mm. wonder, can I walk through? Is this so just that process of having to negotiate and navigate your way into the installation? It's not a huge amount of an ask, but it's a small ask to say, 
you know, please join us in the center. We're going to be doing this hard thing that we're willing to share with you, but we're just asking you to meet us in that space. Um, having engaged with the space on your way in. And so when I thought about what could I do, soccer balls felt like uh, a symbol or a way to think about both interrupting the viewer in a very you know mild form, mm. but also as we are in the middle of the room doing this difficult thing, I wanted us to feel surrounded by support. Mm. And as queer masculine, you know, female-bodied people, most of us, all of us, in fact, um, sports is the place where throughout our life our masculinity has been not always easy, but mm. there's been space for our masculinity to be supported, to be recognized, um, to be even celebrated. Mm. And for three of the four of us, that sport is football. In the choir. Three of the four mm. participants in the choir, that sport is football. And mm. two of the participants I met because of playing football. Mm. So they, that grid of balls performs this dual function of sort of surrounding us and holding the space for us in a way that feels supportive to us while also simultaneously um, as I said, nudging or inviting the viewer into active relation with us. Hmm. Could you talk about scale a little bit too? Because there's, it feels like a very distinctly human matched scale to the guest who enters the four the 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 suite of four videos. Was that a was that a, a nod to that sort of implication too of the viewer? Um, it's an invitation, hmm. you know. Um, you know, for a lot of people, this work is about the four of us overcoming what is really a serious source of shame for mm. all four of us. I think there are a lot of people when I was working on this project, like for some people, they're like, so what? You go to karaoke, you sing terribly, who cares? You know, they, but shame is not a objective mm -hmm. emotion, right? Shame is a very subjective uh, emotion. And for all four of us, um, this was an extremely difficult thing to do. I mean, two people almost dropped out halfway through, you know, like this is a mm. level of difficulty for us to sing publicly for the first time. And in terms mm. of inviting the viewer into relation with us, I mean, obviously it's screens, we're not actually there, but I'm thinking about, I was thinking about what strategies are available to me for you to feel as close as you could that you're there in the room with us, you know, we're there in the room with you. Would it be a Michelle Pearson Clark piece if it hadn't been difficult for the participants? <laughs> um, well, I'm mostly teasing. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't set out to cause difficulty for people. You know, I. But there'd be what, a challenge for, that for you're me, raising. Uh, it is about vulnerability, right? And I, I've come to learn this about myself. For whatever reason, I am very comfortable with vulnerability. Mm. I don't know mm. where that comes from. That is a lifelong thing, mm. and it's only through my practice that I've come to understand that I am not a good judge of what other people will be willing to do because everything I've ever asked community to do is something that I would do. But then, as several projects fell apart mm. or several projects had to be changed, I realized, oh, what you are willing to do is not. <laughs> Like you're at the you're at the high end of some spectrum, and most people are like, mm -mm, the too, ask much, is different. too much, the too ask much, too much. Really different. Um, and so, in That's reflecting on what does it mean to make this repeated artistic gesture of asking for too much from my community. That's part of the thread of Quantum Choir yeah. as well, because I, as I thought about how do I begin to introduce more opacity and refusal into my work so that I continue to, you know, make the work that I feel drawn to make, but also allow people to participate in ways that are more comfortable and suited to them. Mm. Um, 
And as part of making that shift in my practice, it quantum requires a self-reflective, self-reflexive move mm-hmm. as well. Because I thought, okay, what's your too much? You know, what's you the, as the artist. me as the yeah. artist? If another artist was like, will you be in this thing? What would be my not doing that? And you don't like, have to tell our listeners, but if you did, no. well, that's that's. It, I immediately went to this lifelong shame about mm. in you know not not being able to sing or think seeing myself or hearing myself, I should say, as a bad singer. Um, I, you know, it's not like I had never done karaoke. I would never, I had lip synced happy birthday, like at dinner parties my whole life. Um, like I'm serious, like that is how terribly shamed I felt. Um, some of it is tied up in a very early memory of not being, I went to all girls school, um, not being good enough to get into choir, oh. which was a really cool, popular thing to do. So it's tied to this early memory of a failure of girlhood. Mm-hmm. Some of it has to do with my accent. You know, when I moved to this country, you know, pitch and tone is one thing, but then my accent hair is a further layer uh, away from that, that right, right, you know, right. that standard of what uh, most people would accept or agree would, is a good yeah. singing voice. And so, you know, as I thought about, okay, what's my line in the sand? What would be the difficult line in the sand for me to cross? Um, it felt like this singing was a way to reflect on the vulnerability of queer female masculinity, but singing was also a way for me to ask myself to, 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 to perform too much for the mm. camera. I love the gender dynamics of the installation with the balls around, around which I mean, the, the queer female masculinity is maybe represented by the balls and the fact that there's a game, there's an athletic prowess, which, as you're saying, came naturally. And then in the, in the inner sanctum of the exhibition is this difficult feminine ideal. And you, you reach it after tra- traversing the, the sport. It's like, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, duality or pole or tension in the installation. I think for me in the end, um, you know, it's a work that I think, um, you know, when I exhibited at the Art Gallery Hamilton, I exhibited it with a photographic project, which is specifically about aging. Mm. Um, But I also think it's not a project about middle age, but all of us in the project Mm. are middle aged. Um, And I think it's interesting to think about, you know, when you... If you're lucky enough to, you know, live to a certain point... um, Or unlucky enough. Or unlucky enough, uh, you know, you give less Fs, right? You're like, okay, you start to let stuff go. You know, we all get in our own ways. We're all carrying around baggage. The shame that we feel about something that is planted from an early childhood memory. Um, some people think they can't dance. Some people uh-huh. think they can't, uh-huh. you know, play sports. Some people, because very early in their lives, somebody told them, oh, you threw like a girl. Or somebody told them, you're off, you're off beat or whatever. Uh-huh. All it takes is one comment as a kid totally. to just be like, oh, I'm not good at that. I feel shame. Michelle, mine was soccer. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's so serious. There you go. I sucked and it was, there was this moment. Yeah. I, I got a ball to, to like myself. I got winded and I was like, oh, this is fucked. But somebody made a value Someone judgment a, exactly. about your ability that at some point. Like, and that comment stays with you, totally. you know? And so the project is not saying everybody needs to learn to sing, but it's definitely an invitation to think about what source of, what source of shame are you living with that you could possibly lean into 
lean through mm. and emerge from, which was the experience of the four of us. It doesn't mean that we think we're good singers now. It doesn't mean that you know anybody's rushing for a mic, but I think we all experienced um, a letting go of, you know, if you think the scariest possible thing is for people to hear my voice mm. and then it happens and the world keeps turning, then you're like, all right, okay. This is fine. You know, it's okay. It's okay. And, you know, what else, what else might I want to tackle from here on in, you know? Right. I want to ask you about the song that the choir is singing. Um, how did you come to this song? And tell us a little bit about the song. Yeah, Queen of Denmark by John Grant. Um, it's just that album. It comes from the same, the album itself is titled Queen of Denmark. And I don't know, I can't remember where I first heard about him as an artist, but I bought that album when it first came out and it's just consistently stayed one of my most played albums, you know, on mm -hmm. an annual basis. Um, and I thought when I was thinking about what song we would sing, what song would we learn to sing, I wanted something that would feel, that would allow us to really let, like something that would have a swell, something that would allow us to like let go. Mm. Um, I knew I wanted something, I didn't want something that was melancholy, but I wanted something that was, felt serious, that mm. there was a gravitas to it, to reflect how serious and weighty this experience was for all of us. Mm. What I love about that song, when John Grant talks about it, he says when he's performing it, that sometimes he is singing to an ex-lover, and sometimes when he performs it, he is singing to himself. Mm. Um, and that duality uh, is very much how I feel like us being on those screens, it's like we're communicating to ourselves and we're communicating to the viewer mm. and it's a song that very clearly is addressing somebody and I wanted the viewers to feel not that they were watching a performance of us singing a song but that we are communicating throughout like all of those sounds that we're making you know my work tends to be full of language or absence of language mm. but my work is very much about communication mm. you know communicating experiences uh, of grief and loss I remember seeing Parade of Champions um, and thinking it was so brilliant in that it wasn't necessarily just a representational gesture. It felt like so, like I was observing something that wasn't for me necessarily, but was deeply cathartic for those who were involved in the process. And I felt like I was watching a document about maybe another document internal. Mm. And it felt like... I don't know, I, I really, kudos to, to you for that project because it was like, that for me is, it, it, it lives in my head as like one of the ways in which someone can work socially and relationally within their own construction and then show a guest to that what they need to see. Well, I mean, I feel what I've most experienced, I love being in the gallery mm -hmm. when I can and talking to folks because I'm trying to communicate something and mm -hmm. I love talking to, to, to viewers and, and ask, answering questions or just mm -hmm. hearing from people what... Um, what they experience because it also informs you know my strategies mm. um, moving forward from that um, and for me I feel like you know there's not a lot of things that are truly universal but grief and loss truly are um, and you know my hope always is we live in a culture where we receive messages from almost every corner that 
you keep your grief private. Mm. You know, you stay home until you are quote unquote <laughs> through better. it and better um, before you come into public space. And so for me, the gallery as a public space is a space to bring grief from the private into the public. Mm. Um, and that even if the grief is a queer grief, even if the grief is a black grief, mm-hmm. that that space of, 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 of holding space for grief could also hold space for mm-hmm. other forms of grief. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's why I, I think about grief um, as a form of, uh, of you know, political engagement mm-hmm. and social connection around you know, solidarity, mm-hmm. around healing and repair, um, around movement, because it's not just focusing on grief to stay in that place, but to think about, because one thing I've learned is you do not heal by yourself. Right? You have to heal what other people need. You have to heal through relation. You have to heal through community. And so the gallery is this community public space that I hope can do that for some folks who you know, experience my works. Mm-hmm. That's really well said. Thank you. OK, so I've taken some words from the song in your piece, mm-hmm. which is Queen of Denmark by John Grant. John Grant. And I'd like you to choose, I'll give you a pair of words. Mm-hmm. You choose one word, which one feels like the word that most calls to you. Sure. And we'll see what, what word wins. Let's do it. First one is, <clears throat> the first ones are world and underwear. World. World and haircut. Haircut. Haircut or crowbar. Haircut. Haircut or embarrassed? Embarrassed. Embarrassed or pathetic? Embarrassed. (laughs) Embarrassed or mustard? Embarrassed. Embarrassed or weepy? Weepy. Oh, (laughs) weepy. Yeah, the song's lyrics are, yeah, pretty rich. Weepy or queen? Or weepy queen, maybe a third option. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Weepy. Denmark. Weepy or Denmark? Weepy. Weepy. Yeah. I'm a cryo. Yeah. Michelle Pearson-Clark, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast, presented by Momenta, Binal de l'Image. The present edition, guest curated by Yu Jun Han, is entitled Masquerades, Drawn to Metamorphosis. Join me, Montreal artist and filmmaker Jamie Ross, for more episodes released weekly throughout the run of the Biennale. We have some really cool artists this year. This podcast was produced by Virage Sonore. And the biennial runs in galleries and museums in Jojage, Muniang, Montreal, from the 7th of September to October 22nd, 2023, on unceded Ganyagahaga territory. Thanks for listening. <laughs>